about six months ago, I think it was, I bought a book called Dangerous Prayers, written by one of my favorite writers, speakers called Craig Rochelle. If I'm honest, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason for that is I'm saving it for our next holiday. Please, Lord. But you know what? I, I, I love the idea that we can pray edgy and life-changing and destiny-shifting prayers. Yeah, that's your warning. You want to run? Go. I jest. And when I was pondering what to preach uh, coming up at the start of September, September's always an exciting time of year, you know, this expression, even though I haven't read the book, I'm looking forward to, that this expression, dangerous prayers, kind of just jumped into my mind and my heart. And I knew it was from the Lord because within about 30 seconds, I had the, the individual message subtitles all ready to go. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you ever pray dangerous prayers? But by that I mean as the words are coming out of your mouth, you hear yourself thinking, yikes. If God answers that one literally, I could be in trouble. So here's one of mine. Uh, forgive me if you've heard this story before, but, but I, back in the days when I was a student, long time ago, and I was waiting for my final results. That'll drive anyone to prayer, as you can imagine. Uh, at Exeter University. Uh, and I had a nice, cushy job lined up with a, with a reputable insurance company in Bristol. God is merciful. And that, that, that day, walking around the, right at the top of the campus at Exeter, there, there are the playing fields, the hockey fields where I live. Not literally, nearly. And then there were the rugby fields there. And I remember walking around there. And I remember saying to the Lord this. Whatever you want me to do. Wherever you want me to go. Lord, I'm your man. What was I thinking? And then actually a few weeks later... I was on a missions trip with, with Steve Ryder in, in Prague, and I, God quite literally turned my, my world upside down. I never made it to Bristol. Sorry, Bristol. Instead, I found myself working for Steve Ryder and heading on a completely different path, which a dec decade or so later took me to, to Canada on, on ministry and ended up here in sunny Bidford. What was I thinking? I could have had a nice four-bedroom detached house with a white picket fence. I could have had 2.2 kids and a peaceful life. Actually, to be fair, I have some of those things already. Not so sure about the peaceful life. At least not the way I'd imagined. Okay, so let's talk about dangerous prayers. Here's my introductory premise. Your prayers are not going to change God, who is, after all, unchangeable. But you know what? There's a very decent chance that they'll change you. 
I can see some of you scribbling. You'll notice that we've got handouts back today on the screen there. They're going to appear for you. And the gaps for all your OCD people are in capital letters. So you can fill them into your heart's content, take them home, make a paper airplane, whatever you like. And if you're watching online, they're available online. You can download them and print them. You too can play. So as I've said, your, your dangerous prayers are not going to change God, but there's a very decent chance that they'll change you. As those dangerous prayers come out of your mouth, those words open your heart and invite the activity of God. That changes things, sometimes dramatically. You know, God is in the business of changing hearts. God is in the business of exposing and convicting sin. God is in the business of humbling pride. God is in the business of pressing on raw nerves and healing open wounds. God, of course, is in the business of advancing kingdom purposes and producing good fruit. And I tell you what, if that is what you want, that is what you want in your life, if that is what you want to see, then I recommend that you start praying dangerous prayers. Now, if, if I'm honest, I suspect most of our prayers are, are to keep us safe. You know, safe from harm, safe from uncomfortable situations, safe from tests and trials, safe from awkward people. Here's the line. What if God's intent is not so much to keep you safe as to make you dangerous? Dangerous to the forces of darkness, a threat to the status quo of the world, a wake-up call to the apathetic and the comfortable and the self-secure, an affront to the overtly religious. Think just Scooting down that list for a minute. Jesus did that sort of thing all the time if you read the Gospels. What if God's intent is not so much to keep you safe, but to put you on the front line? To make you an agent of, of love and reconciliation, of righteousness and justice, of faith and hope. What, what if God's intent is to put you into situations where you can turn darkness to light and death to life and brokenness to wholeness, blindness to sight to turn spiritual poverty into spiritual riches and overflow. Here's the thing. This is not necessarily safe ground. You might have heard that the metaphor, I think Reinhard Bonnke made a video about this, asking you whether you live your Christian life as though you were holidaying on a cruise liner or fighting on a battleship or, or even serving on a hospital ship. I wonder which of those is the Christian life supposed to be. I'm going to make a, a big statement. Uh, I'd like you to consider it. Tell me, lady, whether you agree with me or not. And the statement is this. Your fruitfulness in the kingdom 
will be directly proportional to the number of dangerous prayers you're prepared to pay. I'll say that again. Your fruitfulness in the kingdom will be directly proportional to the number of dangerous prayers that you're prepared to pray. You could be one who always prays safe, bless me prayers. Or, or perhaps you're one who, who prays dangerous sounding prayers in public but doesn't really mean it. It may well be that you've counted what you perceive to be the cost and decided to stay on the safe side. Here's the good news. Things change radically when we pray dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers such as, God, change me. Dangerous prayers such as, God, fill me. Such as, God, use me. Or, God, promote me. Or even, dare I say, God, bless me. Which might sound like a safe prayer, but isn't really, as we'll see. What we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few weeks working our way through through that list of dangerous prayers. I'm going to start today, our first one is going to be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember that story, just before Jesus was betrayed, and that betrayal led to his trial, which led to his flogging, and ultimately his crucifixion. Jesus took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He took them to a garden called Gethsemane, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And he asked those three disciples to wait while he prayed. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Picking up the, the, the story, Matthew 29, sorry, Matthew 26, verse 39 says, going a bit farther, he fell with his face to the ground, that's Jesus, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And of course, remember the story when Jesus got back, he found his disciples asleep. And he said this, verse 40, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And again, he returned to find his precious disciples fast asleep. And for a third time, says Jesus went off on his own and he prayed the same prayer. So here's the dangerous prayer. The dangerous prayer is not my will, but yours, O oh Lord. Jesus prayed exactly that. And look what happened to him. I prayed it, walking around the rugby pitches at the University of Exeter. Look what a fine mess they got me into. Nevertheless, nevertheless, this is at its core probably the most important prayer that we could possibly pray. I said there were three parts to Jesus' prayer. We'll walk through them quickly. The first part was this, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Here's the reality. 
Why not? And that's why this prayer is dangerous. This is not a prayer for the faint-hearted or for the partially committed or for anyone whose priority is to stay safe. Jesus prayed this prayer and ended up at the end of a Roman flogging and crucifixion. The disciples who prayed that prayer were persecuted and scattered and 11 of the 12 were martyred. Paul prayed this prayer and he ended up stuck with, with that thorn in his flesh. Sometimes the cup may be taken away. Sometimes it won't. We need to bear that in mind before we start. Part two of the prayer, Jesus said, not as I will. No, I don't know about you. I really, really like it when I get my will. And my will is ease and comfort. It's success and victory. Who doesn't like that? My will is, is personal gratification and favorable outcomes to me. Here's the challenge in this prayer. Am I prepared to give that up? Am I prepared to lay that down and risk losing that to gain something ultimately far better and far more meaningful and fruitful instead? See, my will might be to, to get home as quickly as I can to the kids and to dinner and to the TV. But do I routinely stop to ask, Lord, is that what your will is for me? My will might be to buy that new gadget to enhance the quality of my life. My will might be to stay at work late every night this week to get my tasks done and meet those targets and so put myself in line for that promotion. My will for me might be to join the gym and spend all that time and money to get fit and healthy and trim. Now, the reality is in all four of those situations, that might well be the will of God for you. But the key is to make sure you ask. It might just be that God's will for you in this right now is not ease. It's not comfort or personal gratification or favorable outcomes. That's certainly not what Jesus got in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, what if, what if God's will is the formation of character deep in your soul? What if God's will is to teach you to depend on him for peace and joy rather than the warm fuzzy happiness of circumstances? What if God's will is that the person who's about to inconveniently interrupt you has an encounter with the presence, the goodness of Jesus? What if God's will for you is for, is for something to die so that something else can come to life? What if God's will for you is humble, surrendered obedience to a difficult directive? What if God's will for you is that they get loved 
whatever the cost. What if God's will for you in this is turning the other cheek? What if it's forgiveness so that that hurt and that pain and that offence is released with no strings attached? What if God's will in this is rendering unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar? What, what if God's will for you in this is to give away your last widow's might? I don't know about you, but remembering all that I've read in the Gospels, all of those sound a lot like the will of God to me. Jesus, of course, made, made several statements to the effect that I only do what my Father wills. John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. In other words, Jesus is saying, my pursuit is to identify the Father's will and do it, whatever the cost. For me, he said, there is no other way. There's no other food that satisfies me. Here's a big question. How would your life change, or what would change, if in every situation you faced, you asked, Father, what's your will here? And how is it different to mine? What a great question to ask. I encourage you to ask that question as many times as you can. Father, in this situation, in this difficult conversation, in this challenging decision, with this mountain in front of me, with this hurt in my heart, whatever it is, Father, what's your will here? And how is it different to mine? Which leads on to part three of Jesus' prayer. He said, not as I will, part three, but as you will. Reminds me of the Lord's prayer, which says, of course, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, of course, is, is how Jesus taught us to pray. The question becomes, how often do we pray it? And when we do, do we really mean it? See, here's the nub. You can do it your way, and you'll probably get your best results. You, you may well get semi-decent worldly outcomes. It might feel better in the short term. But every time you do it God's way, you open the door for his intervention. Every time we sow word seed, we prepare the soil for supernatural harvest. Every time we give, we prepare the way to receive. Every time God's will wins, the kingdom advances. Here's a whimsical question. What would, what would church look like? What would the church look like? What would our church look like if we had a church full of people who routinely prayed this dangerous prayer. Lord, I don't care about my will. I'm prepared to lay that down and let it go and give it up. The only thing that matters to me is that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever the cost, 
however difficult, however counterintuitive, however it contradicts the way that I've always done it in the past. Because I recognize that when I do things his way, in his time, under his leading, when it's his will, everyone wins. Here's that point again. When it is his will, everyone wins. Do you believe that? Have to think about what that actually means functionally. When it's your will, it might feel like a temporary win, but it's not a real one. So the very best prayer we can pray is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, I like asking questions. My next question is, how? How? See, I can hear people, I can hear you thinking. I can hear you thinking, Jamie, that's just too hard. I'm worried that that's going to cost me too much. I really do want that, that safe and comfortable, easy road. Hey, I'm thinking it myself. Maybe you're thinking itself, I'm just not sure I've got what it takes. I'm not sure I've got the energy or the strength to take that difficult path. To which the Lord would say to you, that is why I've sent you the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, just as the pace started quitting, just as the temperature started rising, just as he started talking about death and resurrection, he said, good news, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you another comforter. He introduced to us then the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one sent alongside to walk with us and to help us. Now this little verse, Matthew 16, little verse, big verse. Matthew 26, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, as a disciple, there must be a laying down. There must be a giving up. There must be a denying if we are to choose the better, the harder way. Here's the scoop. You are not supposed nor intended to do that under your own steam, under your own power, with, in your own strength and, and, and with your own ability. After all, he is a God who said, my grace is sufficient for you. He is the God who said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He is the God who said, I will send you another comforter. He is the God who said, wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so like so much, this whole thing comes down to walking with the Spirit. It comes down to listening to Him and surrender to, surrendering to Him. It comes down to following Him and drawing upon the resources that He has for you. And you know what? At the crux point, the Holy Spirit will give you all you need to resist your will, to resist that comfort and that ease and that gratification, those favorable outcomes. He will give you all you need to resist your will and to choose his. 
and his will may well be into the fire. Think of Jesus. His will may well cost you more than you would ideally wish to pay. His will may well involve you letting go of something that has a tight grip of you. It may involve denying strong, fleshy urges to lash out or to run ahead of God or to try and fix it all yourself. Here's the verse, Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by stressing and straining, not by clenching your teeth and bending your back, not by sheer determination and willpower, but by my dunamis, by my grace, by my enabling, by my empowering, says the Lord. Which brings me to a final question before I wrap this up. Here's the question. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to smile at you lovingly. And you're going to smile at me back and say, yes, Jake. No. Here's the question. Are you prepared to go to Gethsemane? Are you prepared to put yourself in that vulnerable place and pray this prayer? You see, Jesus at any stage could have walked out of Jerusalem. He said, whoa, it's hot in here, I'm out. He could have strolled outside the city where it was safe. He could have performed a few more nice miracles and, and increased his popularity and improved his image and grown his fan base. But Jesus refused to do that. Instead, Jesus walked into Gethsemane and got down on his knees. So here's a question for you again. Do you ever go to Gethsemane? Or do you skirt around the edges? Do, do you admire the garden from a distance? Perhaps you cheer when your friends go in there. Or maybe you've heard about that garden and you avoid it at all costs. And you know why this is important? Because Gethsemane is where the action happens. Gethsemane is where the prayers are prayed. It's where the business is done. It's where hearts are opened and knees are bent. It's a dangerous place, but it leads to glory. It leads to purpose. It leads to redirection. It leads to kingdom impact. It leads to supernatural results. It leads to changed lives. And it's where eternal destinies are turned around. Okay, here's the challenge. Can you look this week for one opportunity each day, one opportunity each day into a specific scenario to pray this dangerous prayer not my will but yours be done can you look for one opportunity each day to pray that prayer you know every time you pray that prayer you open your heart 
Every time you pray that prayer, you open your life, you open your circumstances to God's hand, to his wisdom, to his strength, to his provision. Remember, as I said, right at the start, your fruitfulness in the kingdom will be directly proportional to the number of dangerous prayers you're prepared to pray. So ask the Holy Spirit, as we respond in a minute, pray a bold prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one time each day at that pivotal moment to pray this dangerous prayer. And then uh, zooming in even more specifically now, an application to finish with. In your current situation, facing your current challenge or or crisis or, or looming decision, what would it look like to pray this prayer? Lord, I'm facing this mountain. I'm dealing with these difficult people. I can't see the solution to the problem. I know my own way, the one that really appeals to my flesh most, probably takes me place I don't really want to go. And so instead, I pray, not my will, but yours be done. In your current situation, some of you, that's obvious. It's jumping up and down inside of your head. The question is, what does it look like to pray that dangerous prayer? Amen.